All right. Good evening, everyone. Welcome back for round two. Um, tonight's meeting is meeting number 25 of the General Plan Advisory Committee. I'm Susan Harden, part of the consulting team that's working on the plan. I'll be helping to facilitate tonight's meeting. Um, also here is Matt Ramey from Ramey & Associates, who's managing the project on the consultant side. And Sarah Perez from the Ramey team is joining us this evening. Um, Rachel Diamond, Community Development Director, here on the end of the table over there. And we also have Stacy Zarazua from the Parks Department as well, who's available to answer questions during our first part of our meeting. So the next slide, just acknowledging all of our GPAC members. So um, we have good representation tonight. I imagine I have a couple more coming through the door as well. Um, so thank you again for all your dedication, all your hard work, and for coming back for more tonight, for those that were able to make it last night. <clears throat> we look to have a pretty great discussion tonight on rounding out our parks and open space discussion and then jumping into really digging into environmental justice as well. So with that, um, our plan for this evening is to spend this first maybe half hour, 40 minutes or so, walking through, um, talking a little bit round, and rounding out our discussion on open space and parks. And then we'll have a presentation on environmental justice. Um, and much like we did last night, Matt will give a presentation. We'll ask the GPAC for any questions you have. And at that point, we'll stop and have public comment. Um, so we'll have our public comment period and then come back and have the group discussion, um, small group discussions around environmental justice document, as well as then a larger group discussion as well. And then finally, at the very end, um, we talked about proposed schedule and proposed topics to talk about for the next several meetings. We want to have that discussion as well at the very end of the meeting, so we'll carve out 10 or 15 minutes to have that as well. So with that, I will, oh, and one reminder about our protocol, um, I think we're all Remind, remember this well, but just about this applies to our team, to all of the GPAC members, all of the public. Um, we just want to speak with respect to everybody. Don't, don't talk over one another and use our, our best behavior for our meeting this evening. Um, so thank you for that in advance. All right. Open space continued. That's right. Okay. <clears throat> I'm going to have to have my glasses for this one. So we had, for those that weren't here, we spent the... Um, GPEC spent about an hour talking in small groups, um, looking at the maps that we had available as well as the policy document and kind of filling in some gaps on where might be some additional parklands as well as some initial thoughts on some of the goals and policies. Um, and those were shared in small group breakout sessions and shared with a larger group and we said we would come back this evening and talk a little bit more about that. Um, we went through some of the maps and you did the presentations but there was some more detail on some of the maps as well. So we have a great laundry list of additions to the list on page 13 in the open space framework um, in terms of potential locations. Some of those additions included um, the former chapel on Thompson, um, the cap on 101 that was not included in the list, coordinating more with VLT, the Ventura Land Trust, for accessibility on some of those lands. Um, there were some specific recommendations around trail greenbelt locations, including on Alessandro. Um, Ventura Avenue school site as being a potential location, some area behind the Ventura High School. So there are lots of additional ideas to explore. Um, on the public side, some of the, the public ideas mirrored what your um, small groups talked about, but also included the fairgrounds. And there was a small area over by the Port District as well of an additional um, location for a, a park site. 
In terms of some of the policies, um, there was a lot, seemed to be a lot of consensus around incorporating dark sky um, policy language into this chapter as well. Um, a master plan of parks seemed to be consensus, um, both from the, the GPAC as well as some of the notes I saw from the public, and joint use agreements, and not just with the schools or the um, school district, but also looking into the college as well as potential locations. Um, we did throw out a couple of potential questions for the public or additional dialogue that might be needed around the SOAR areas um, and kind of the idea of is it just no development or is it what is what do people really want in the SOAR areas? Is it parks, open space, agriculture? Because there's some discussion around whether agriculture is as supported as we would want it to be. And then about the golf course and how much um, maintenance and investment the city should be putting into the golf courses. So we, we did talk about the option or the, <clears throat> the opportunity to do some mini surveys along the way to the public. And so those are a couple questions. So with the um, parks and open space, if you go to the, the next slide. So what we'd like to do for the next half an hour or so is to continue that discussion. So if you had some additional locations um, that you thought of last night that weren't discussed in your small groups, we want to hear about those. If there's some more specifics on the policies, um, we did report or take notes on your report outs last night and a couple of the team members provided notes from your discussion as well, so we have those. Um, but we want to dig in as to some things maybe we didn't talk about last night as well. So if you have specific comments on that. And then we also want to spend a little bit of time if there are additional questions, like we talked about for the SOAR areas and the golf course um, questions, are there others around parks and open space that we want to throw out to the, the public as well? So that's a little entree into what we want to talk about. So I'll open the floor. So again, my apologies for not being here last night. I, I was needed. Um, I, and this may have gotten some talk, but one of the when we look at Ventura and we look at where parks are, um, you know, it's, it's it's not tremendously um, uh, evident that there's a lot of open space. One of the thoughts that I've got and I've had it, you know, for quite some time now is about infill development, and when we're filling in areas like the mall, for example, <laughs> are we in it? Yeah, we are. Um, places around the mall, um, other sites that like there was a site on um, off of Mills Road that was rather sizable that people were very concerned about. Can we write policy that can it either encourage or require some level of public open space to come along with those developments? Um, sometimes it's a corner plaza, sometimes if it's a larger site, you know, maybe there's an acreage thresh threshold where there's an understanding that there'll be some public space there, some public open space. And I, I think that was talked about a little bit, adjacency. We talked about um, how, to, how to achieve more open space through some of these development projects as well. And I, Matt's checking there to see if, if there's some specific language. So it's there, and it's definitely something I know we talked about as a group throughout this entire process, is some of these mixed-use projects, locations, should be providing open space on-site, right? So part of a conversation that we had and then I've been thinking about a little bit since is uh, the, the comparison between Ventura and Thousand Oaks and how much more... Um, uh, how many more acres they have per person. Um, somebody was talking about that Thousand Oaks is a much uh, more recent city than this one, and that we are, I don't know how you measure it, but you know, 100 
plus years old. And so lots of things have are there that we can't really do a whole lot about, which was also part of the discussion about why um, you know we're looking at what we have there and you you know open spaces that we have and utilizing them, including the schools and other places. But somebody just said something to me about Thousand Oaks doesn't have an ocean, and just I mean not to do to go too down too far down the rabbit hole of comparing um, ourselves to others. We have an ocean. I heard that actually a couple times last night. Thousand Oaks doesn't have an ocean. Unless we need an, another reminder, right? Other thoughts from on parks and open space? Any policies or ideas that you thought were possibly missing from the draft section that you read, reviewed? Uh, just a clarifying question, I, and I apologize for not being here yesterday. I had another meeting, but um, when you look at the open space calculation, do we calculate in our beach? There's two calculations. One is without the beaches, which was 5.5 acres per thousand and 7.5 acres per thousand with the beaches incorporated. Um, the state looks at it differently in terms of how you use those numbers, but the city calculates both and the goal being 10, um, the overarching goal for the city is trying to reach 10 acres per 1,000 residents. So we think that's in pretty good shape, it seems like. So circling back to the opening comment about developers providing open space, and, and Matt, your affirmation that there is something in the regulations already there. Um, an example is at the forthcoming Anastasi development at uh, Seaward and Harbor, in which that developer is required to provide a public parklet as part of that development. However, the catch is that the initial design of that uh, construction is a square building, like a castle-like, moat-like building with the quote, public, unquote, portion of that inside the development. So it is labeled as public space, technically with public access, but it does not by any stretch of my imagination meet the um, spirit of the law of providing public space. So this may be getting too much into the weeds, but my policy suggestion would be that public spaces required by developers be accessible and visible to the public. So. That's a really good point. Something can be public, but if nobody knows it's there, it's not gonna be used. So maybe potentially tweaking the language to make sure that that, that, that phrase is in there, accessible and visible. Other thoughts? All right. So we will spend more be able to spend a little more time on the environmental justice. We can come back. Um, we're, we'll have public comment in just a few minutes as well. Susan, before we move on, I guess um, I wanted to ask you, I just want to make sure that we're done for now with parks and open space. You all have, we got the, the, all the written comments. Some of you emailed us comments. If you have more ideas, please send them if you review the policy framework in the next you know, week or so. Um, I do want to actually um, maybe take a minute and talk about just sort of questions and topics for the public, because we'd really like some input. Um, 
We want to get um, feedback through an online survey slash public comment form uh, for parks and open space. Um, we talked about a few questions last night, um, the sore lands, and Louise, we can talk about sort of language about how to craft that because I'd love some help. Um, came up about the golf course um, and um, re repurposing part of the golf course and putting that in a question to the public. What are other things and other topics or questions you think we should ask the community in a survey going out? Around parks, Around open parks space, and open space. For, for instance, are there any specific locations that were discussed that might be needing to be fleshed or, out with the public? Or priorities, or... Yeah, we talked a little bit last night about accessibility, and I think it would be interesting to ask the public, like, what would make a space feel accessible and welcoming to you, and the people you know in their life, in your life, and their ability levels? Because I think there maybe would be some things we wouldn't necessarily think of. That's good. Um, for funding, I was thinking that would you be willing to pay additional an additional tax or levy um, for to fund your parks? Somebody mentioned a park district last night, right? Your park park fees. Um, some data on usage of parks. Do you use parks? How do you use parks? Would you use parks, etc. Yeah. And uh, maybe would you be open to private funding of certain amenities? if they had naming rights or things like that. There's another way to get there without general fund. Yeah, and, and I'll just say some of these, as we're going through this, some of these are questions that would be in a more detailed survey and for a parks and rec master plan or a park master plan. So we may not be able to include all of them, but they're, they're great suggestions. What kind of athletic facilities would you like to see in the parks? Pickleball courts, frisbee golf courses, uh, other things, skate parks, things like that. Just, um, I'd like people to tell us what their favorite park is, whether it's in Ventura or someplace else, but it, what's your favorite park? And that might tell us a lot about what kind of parks we should be creating. So what's your, and maybe the question of how often do you use the parks, asking which parks, right? Which parks or what do, you, what do you do in parks? Another thing I'm remembering from that we talked about last night was that I, I understand there's been a long time talking about uh, having a pool on the west side, and that didn't come up. And and um, uh, the pool on the east side is magnificent and amazing. And I don't know, yeah, it would be lovely to have one on the other side as well. Speaking of athletic facilities. And, and that was actually in the list of um, that we heard in the recommended. New but you're parks. right; it didn't. It wasn't reinforced again last night. So but yeah, it's but definitely it, it on was the there. list. All right, I think that's a pretty pretty good list to start from. Yeah. Any other parting comments before we jump into the next topic? All right. Thank you. Oh, yes. I saw your hand half go up. Right. Uh, one of the things I'd be curious to hear from the public is if they have a differing view for the beach versus, you know, a park, you know, on on the coast, and if they have like, what is the best Ventura Beach look like versus what is the best like park on the in the city look like? So kind of their how they approach each of the different types of park facilities. Okay. Or, or the ideal environment. Okay, anything else on parks and open space before we leave the topic? 
Okay. There's a little bit of overlap in some of the EJ discussions, so we may come back to some of the access and things of that sort too. So. Yeah, definitely. Okay, are we, um, we are. All right, our next topic um, is on environmental justice. As we did, um, as we did last night, we'll um, go through a brief presentation, potentially a little more detailed than we did on the parks and open space. Um, and then have some question and answer from the GPAC. Then we'll go into public comments um, on environmental justice. But of course, if you want to give a comment on parks and open space, that you're welcome to do that as well. Uh, and then we'll um, have the GPAC break into smaller groups to go through the policy framework and then give some about half an hour in small groups and then give some feedback. Um, since we are two nights in a row and we didn't spend as long as we thought we might tonight on a, on a, uh, parks and open space, we um, could end a little early tonight. So I know it's, um, we've, we've been at this two nights in a row, so. Um, all right, let's start out with um, what is environmental justice? Uh, and so um, environmental justice was codified in California in 1999, and essentially it is the fair treatment of people of all races, cultures, and incomes with respect to um, environmental laws, regulations, and policies. Um, and this really stems out of, of many, many years of seeing in, in the United States of decisions that were made to put quote unquote noxious uses, industrial uses, um, uh, you know, wastewater treatment plants in low income and minority areas. And so through that, the, essentially the environmental justice movement was born. Um, actually, President Clinton signed um, Executive Order 12898 um, back in the um, early 90s, which um, talked about environmental justice for, um, for the federal government. Um, and then uh, California followed after that. Um, in 2008, SB 35 was passed that required that um, Cal EPA identify what's called disadvantaged communities, or DACs as we call them, and allocate 25% of the cap and trade funding to, um, to those areas. So essentially it was a conscious effort that was made by the state government to identify areas that were disadvantaged and the, um, the definition of disadvantage here is a combination of lower income and environmental pollution and then put money from the cap and trade funds into those areas in order to improve the environment and to improve health. Um, then in 2016, um, SB 1000, Senate Bill 1000, really enshrined environmental justice into general plans. Um, and it was actually the first time in many, many years that a new element was required in a general plan. It was for environmental justice. And it requires that jurisdictions go through a process to identify disadvantaged communities. Um, and then if there are disadvantaged communities, then to in, um, prepare an environmental justice element or have policies related to environmental justice throughout the plan, where those policies were trying to mitigate the impacts that were identified through the, through the disadvantaged communities. And that's the process that we're going through now. So then this question again is what is a disadvantaged community? It's defined as essentially an area that is lower income or low income and that ha is disproportionately affected by environmental pollutions and other hazards that can lead to health effects, exposures, and environmental degradation. So again, it's really important. It's a combination of income and then disproportionate um, environmental health issues. And that environmental health is a very broad category, as you'll see in a minute. 
Um, so again, it's this combination here. Um, the process for um, SB 1000 or the environmental justice element is this three-step process here, and that's what we've been going through. First step is the analysis to identify where there are disadvantaged communities um, within Ventura, if there are and if so, where they are. Um, the second part is engagement, and then the third part is policy development. Clearly, we're in a public meeting this evening, so we're actually doing parts two and three, which is engaging and asking for input, um, as well as um, identifying policies. Um, the methodology for I actually identifying disadvantaged communities is, um, can get pretty technical, um, but essentially it, it boils down to, um, to it, let me just see if there's something missing here. Okay, a, um, well, this is animated, um, but it, it's, th it's really three different methods. The first method is to use what's called CalEnviroScreen, um, or SB35, which is a predetermined analysis um, of the state and census tracts within the, the top 25% of the 25 worst percent in the state of, a, of an index and a methodology that they use of, um, of socioeconomic factors plus environmental factors. So that's method one. Method two is to then actually break that down a little bit and, and first identify low-income areas and then go through each of the different pollution burdens and identify any that are in the top 25% um, for the jurisdiction um, and then put those together. And then the third is sort of any other kind of analysis um, related to um, public health and the built environment related to income as well for lower income areas. Um, and then the combination of those three methods gives you the identification of disadvantaged communities. The engagement process is actually really important because you, we field test and, and find out whether those are actually the correct um, uh, EJ environmental justice issues and whether there are more. Um, so we, um, we started this process and we, um, just to go through just a piece of it, um, we looked at um, low income areas and that's identified as 80% of the state or county median income. Um, typically you use whichever state or county is higher because then that 80% is a higher number, which means that it's then more inclusive. And so looking at this map here, um, the, the dark blue and the blue blue, um, those are both um, within the 80% of, um, of the county or state. The dark blue is 80% of the state, and the lighter blue is 80% of the county. And so that combination that you see on the map there, those are essentially the 80% um, for lower income. Um, and this is by, by census tract. It's the geography that we use. Um, we then use state data to identify um, for each of these pollution burdens on the left side whether an individual census tract is within the top 25% uh, in the state. Now, a lot of this is state-level data. So census tracts can be big. Um, it's, it's a little bit of a, um, of, a, of a blunt instrument. But what it does is it begins to give us a picture of what some potential environmental hazards are. And so what we see is that um, pesticide use has the highest with 16 census tracts out of 25 um, in the city that are in the top 25% of the state for pesticide use. Um, I, I have to say I don't know the methodology that each of these, that the state uses to determine this for each of these, so we do have to use state data here. 
Um, and anyway, so this you can actually see for the issues anywhere where there's red is in the top, um, is in the top uh, 25%. Um, we then go through the process of actually overlaying for each of these individual topics. Um, we go through the process of overlaying that on a map with the, um, with the lower income areas, which you can see essentially in the hatched lines. Those are the low income areas. And then the red is in the top 25% um, or top, you know, above 75th percentile. Um, and so this is one of the more extreme, which is pesticide use. And we can see that a lot of the city, um, according to the state criteria, a lot of the census tracts are included in this top 25%. Um, we can look at hazardous waste generators and facilities. These are places that um, where there are um, areas or there are uses that use hazardous waste within the census tract. And so we can see that there are areas in red here which are again in the top, uh, the top 25%. Um, traffic density, uh, same thing. This is really related to, um, clearly related to 101. Um, and then, um, then with all of that, what we identified is essentially the disadvantaged community. So we overlaid all of these in anywhere where there was low income and one or more of the environmental pollution, um, that was essentially identified as a disadvantaged community. And again, this is the map as the starting point. So we see that, um, that this is the map of DAX um, in the city. Um, <clears throat> And so this is sort of our working, I'll, I'll get to a little bit more detail in a second, but this is essentially the working map that says, yes, the city of Ventura has disadvantaged communities, these are the geographic areas, and then all of the data and the previous information tells us what those, what the potential um, environmental concerns are within those communities. Um, we, we have done a, a series of engagement activities related uh, to environmental justice, including um, the forum, which I'm, I can't remember how many of you came to, but um, September 21st, 2021, it seems so long ago, um, because it was, that we had an educational forum on this and talked through all of this detail of the slides that I just presented, that and a lot more about disadvantaged communities. Um, we met with organizations um, that are in the community that are dealing with issues related to equity and environmental justice and had a listening session with them. And then we had some focus groups in both English and Spanish on environmental justice. Um, and then of course throughout the process we have been talking to people and whether people have called it you know, SB 1000 environmental justice or not, we've heard about, um, about issues in the community. You know, for example, we hear about, um, we all have talked about the, um, the potential impact of some of the industrial uses um, on the west side, and we've heard about the police firing range and the impacts that that has, and so all of that information really came into this as well. Um, we've heard about traffic safety issues, walkability issues. Um, and then we ended with all of this, which is essentially this list of environmental justice issues. Um, and so on the left is from the environmental justice screening analysis, pesticide levels, soil and groundwater contamination from sort of the legacy of, um, of industrial uses. Um, it's very common considering how much oil and gas uh, has been sort of the history of oil and gas in the city. Um, hazardous waste facilities, which are industrial uses, and then again near the oil and gas uses. Um, air pollution from freeways and truck traffic are really the main ones. Um, but then there are other EJ issues that we heard um, about as well that, um, that really relate to people's health. 
um, and they include the high cost of housing, um, fire hazards in certain areas, particularly low-income areas, and then evacuation, um, traffic safety, um, noise and potential lead poisoning from the firing range, um, walkability issues in certain parts of the city, um, ADA and accessibility issues, um, access to food and food deserts in, in some areas of the city, and then um, limited access to transit in some areas. And so again, these are, without going into all of the detail, these are a series of topics that we looked at as part of the report as well, as well as what we heard from the community. Um, the environmental justice element um, requires that we have goals to, and the legislation requires that we have goals to reduce the unique and compounded health risks, to promote civic engagement, and to identify objectives and policies that prioritize the needs of the disadvantaged communities. So in other, in other words, it's not just enough to identify them. What we're trying to do in the element is to say, we recognize that there's issues in certain areas and we are taking steps through the goals, policies, and programs in the general plan to address the cause of those issues and make the people's lives in those neighborhoods better. Um, there are um, uh, essentially six topics that we are supposed to look at related to environmental justice. They include um, reducing pollution exposure. Um, so air quality, water quality, um, soil, land use compatibility, um, promoting food access, um, promoting physical activity, um, promoting uh, public facilities that improve the lives of people, promoting safe and sanitary homes, and then promoting civic engagement. So as you can see, uh, a lot of these topics actually are covered in other chapters of the plan, which is one of the challenges of doing a separate environmental justice element. Um, which is that um, physical activity is about um, multi-use trails. Um, it's about parks and access to parks. Um, housing, we have a whole housing element that deals with some of these similar topics. Um, public facilities, we're gonna have a public facilities and services element. So, you know, as you, as you can see, and you know, in the policy framework that we did, there is some overlap as well as reference to other elements of the general plan where these topics are gonna be addressed. Um, for now and for tonight, don't worry about whether it's here or not. So if you don't see something that you think is related to environmental justice, tell us and we ultimately may put it in another part of the general plan, but we wanna hear about it tonight. Um, there are, um, in the policy framework, there are 10 goals uh, that we've identified. Um, and again, we'll have you all work in groups to talk about these goals. We don't have maps tonight, but we'll have you talk through the policy frameworks. Um, these are to promote racial, social, and economic equity. It's really a broad goal about, um, about equity in the city. Uh, the second is to reduce health impacts and health disparities. Um, third goal is to reduce pollution emission from freeways and mobile sources. So we, um, the pollution, I, there's more focus on pollution reduction in the environmental justice element than other topics. So we have multiple goals related to pollution reduction, one from freeways and mobile sources, um, another one from industrial uses, and then another one from agricultural uses. Then there is a policy to promote physical and mental health of residents, um, promote healthy and fresh food accessibility. Um, eighth is essentially civic engagement. Uh, the ninth is about safe and sanitary housing. And then the last one is about ADA access and equitable services. Um, 
there are, as with, um, as with last night's policy framework, there are uh, policies included under each of the goals, and then there are actions included at the end, um, which are cross-cutting for all of the goals. Um, what we would like to do, again, is to start with some questions. Um, I know, again, I know it was a lot of information. We asked you all to watch the kind of 30 or 45 minutes of the video with existing, where the detailed existing conditions was presented. We'll then go to public comment and have discussions. Questions? So on that last slide, the goals, where did those goals come from? Where were they developed? They were developed by our team based on what we had heard in the, um, in the information, looking at existing city policies um, that are in place now, and then essentially, um, um, as we did last night, the goals are an attempt to start a conversation to see where, where we're right on and where we're not. So maybe I'm completely off target here, but if we go back to the slide which shows the disadvantaged communities um, and by income, and it's pretty pretty pervasive throughout mm -hmm. Ventura. And so given that so much of, like 50% of the determinant of these DACs is, is on income levels, I'm really surprised to see that of the 10 goals, there's not one of them that addresses building up the income, education, creating jobs, economic vitality. Uh -huh. And I know that economic vitality was on the survey that we all took, and yet we're not even talking about it. And I know that it's been woven through every single conversation that we've had when we hear from the public, even last night, um, the public weighed in on the parks issue. And one of the comments that stuck in my mind was, hey, you know, we want all of these things. We want a 10 out of, you know, instead of a 7.5 or a 5 or whatever we're going to measure it by, we need to be fully funding those departments so that they can hit that goal. Well, that money has to come from somewhere, and it comes from the economic vitality of our community. And so I, I'm, I'm concerned that a lot of these are going to further pinch down certain industries and certain job sectors within our city, which will not do anything to help build that jobs and economic vitality sector. So I think that's a really good observation about that particular goal, and I, I encourage you when you're in your small groups to actually craft some language for an additional goal, but also be thinking about what are the right policies and actions and funding tools for some of these programs too. So I think that's a really great observation. Can I respond to that quickly? Because yeah. um, I'm hearing you say this is a big mistake because it's not in here. We're, we're asking for feedback. So that's what tonight is about, is about asking for that feedback. Um, this is just for conversation. We do have a separate whole section, and we will have a separate whole section on economic development, which, which is right now slated for the land use element. Um, but I think you bring up a great point, which is maybe we should include in here an economic equity and economic vitality. So that's great. I think come up with some ideas. Let's include that in, and we can include that in. This is Scott McCarty. Thank you, Matt. Um, with regard to definitively identifying disadvantaged communities, it looks like Senate Bill 1000 and the State Health and Safety Code set certain guidelines as, you, as you've laid out with identifying DACs. But in your presentation, you, you note certain census tracts are potential disadvantaged communities. How, how do they move from potential to definitively identified per state standards? 
as DACs? Yeah. It's, it's a determination the city makes. Um, you know, it's, they become official DACs when I think that the general plan is adopted, so we call them potential until it's adopted. So those are, yeah, so, sorry, we went through a very rigorous analysis for this, and we go, um, we go beyond what the state asked for, and in fact, um, we have been working um, on methodologies with the state attorney general's office, um, and they have essentially blessed the methodology that they didn't put out, we developed based on their broad guidance. So okay. this definitely meets that. So the DICs essentially are de determined yeah. city by city by city. Oh, absolutely. Okay. They're absolutely city by city by city. And, um, and that's the point. The point is to get local with it and identify local issues, which is why we don't just use the state data and we need the engagement okay. in order to identify. So, so we give the blessing or we... Uh... Yeah, we cr we, the city creates them. Um, and Sometimes the data yeah. can miss pockets within a city that the community knows are there. Yeah. Example, the, the police um, uh, rifle facility, practice range. That was one that came up that there is no way that the state data that they have us look at um, for this methodology would come through. But we know from the community it's an issue. I think I want to build a little bit on what Stephanie said, that um, you know the economic development as she pointed out, fits through all of these discussions, right? How are we going to fund this? How are we going to avoid inadvertently creating goals, policies, and programs, or I forget what you call them, um, actions that, that suppress economic development and vitality? Um, last night you had asked for us to point out if we felt that there needed to be additional discussion. I would like to propose that GPAC be allowed to discuss the economic development section, please. Thank you. Well, when we get to that point at the end of the meeting, we'll, let's talk about how we fit that in and incorporate that in, or ensure that we fit that in. Great. Thank you. Um, uh, my main question is in regards to the reduced pollution from agricultural uses and minimize pollution emissions from industrial uses. And I'm, I'm curious how, what we base that on. And maybe you said that two years ago, I just don't recall it, but I just know I follow the air quality, at least that's one, one form of pollution is air quality, it could be water quality, it could be uh, other things as well. But uh, one that shows up all the time uh, when we watch the air quality in our community is really at the 33 and 101 freeway. So it seems to me that a lot of our pollutants are the freeways themselves. So I'm kind of curious how we label that. The other thing is a landscaper, I know pesticides, even the organic, pesticides or labeled pesticides. So if you're doing mineral oil, for instance, um, is that considered a damaging pesticide? Okay, well, I'm just curious because I, I just want to make sure we're basing this upon what, who's truly being impacted. And I, th I tend to think there's a lot more impact, for instance, next to our agricultural fields, possibly, or next to the freeways in particular. Which I'm, the pesticide map layer did show some of those locations near those ag lands inside the city, I think, right? If there's no, I didn't see anyone's hand yet. Um, following up on what Doug said, um, you know, ev for years now, I've brought up in these meetings and also sent emails um, asking that this committee, the city, invite the agricultural commissioner here to talk about pesticides, agricultural use, um, things like that. And, and given the discussion that um, we had last night, that I'm hoping that we continue, and
and and given that public feedback at least what we've gathered so far shows that people overwhelmingly support agriculture. I do find it very disappointing that we are here tonight talking about goals, policies, and actions that will impact agriculture, but we have not engaged the agricultural commissioner. We don't have information to answer questions like Doug's. Um, and, and I actually do have a little bit of that data. I'm not the expert. The agricultural commissioner is the expert. But mineral oil is included in this volume. Um, and, and I also think that it is important for people to understand that pesticide use has one legal definition. Pesticide exposure has a completely different legal definition, and the Agricultural Commissioner monitors, enforces, and has all that data. So, so I think we're doing a disservice to this discussion tonight by not having that information. So I do want to <clears throat> caution, not caution us, I want to make sure that we're, we're, we're moving into the dialogue piece, which is great, but I also wanted to make sure that there were any clarifying questions, because we do want to get the public comment before we have a larger discussion, too. Sorry, I don't know if this is a clarifying question more than like a, a detailed question, um, but in the um, goals that have been listed out here, I noticed a couple times there's a buffer of 500 feet that's in here. Is that, um, like, is that based on something else, or, and is, regardless, is that, detail of conversation, something that we should be talking about tonight, like the size of that buffer, or, um, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? I think you can talk about it tonight. 500 feet has been a buffer that ARB has put forward um, as a buffer, um, so that's what we have been using. Um, but if you think it should be different, then say it should be different. I just have a clarifying question about the actions versus the goals um, and kind of over the the long-term implementation of the general plan like is there a mechanism for the actions to be updated as we accomplish those goals and because when I look at this actions list it's comprehensive but it doesn't necessarily meet all of the goals that are identified earlier so how do we in the interest of making this plan actually implemented, um, what does that process look like in the future? Yeah, so I think that has to be um, that has to be developed. Um, we we will encourage the city. Um, so actually, let me do two things. First, um, yeah, you're probably right. There's there's more actions that we could include in there to implement uh, the goals and the policies. So um, please come up with what those are. <clears throat> um, we encourage a mechanism internally where there's continual review of the actions. The policies are meant to stay more of the same, kind of the same over time. The action should really change and be updated. So we would really encourage, um, and we'll have this in the plan of a method, that we would encourage the city to do, um, which is trying to tie departmental work plans to the implementation actions of the general plan and then update those actions regularly, and then go through either every five years, every 10 years, eight years, um, a more kind of thorough review of the policies in a more systematic way. It's general plan maintenance. Other questions at this point? All right, you can, you can keep asking questions, of course, when we're back in um, the group, but did want to break a little bit right now for public comment. 
Um, we're going to try to limit it. We have a number of speakers tonight, so we're about 90 seconds, if we can do right at 90 seconds. If there's anyone's card I did not collect. I'm sorry, did you say you? Oh, if you want to put your name on that card there so I can keep track, that would be great. Um, I see another card there also coming. Two cards, okay. All right, and I will name the first speaker and I'll say who the second one is too, just so you can kind of be ready to get in the queue. Um, and of course, I didn't bring my glasses up. Kristen is our first speaker, followed by Terry Holder. So Kristen, Christian, Christian, Christian Union, yes. Thank you. Let me grab my glasses while you're coming up. <laughs> All right, Christian Union followed by Terry Holder. 90 seconds. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Christian Nunez. I'm a policy advocate with CAUSE, an environmental justice organization that works with disadvantaged communities in Ventura and Santa Barbara counties who are on the front lines of polluting industry. I believe that today's discussion on goals, policies, and actions regarding environmental justice efforts is key to determine where and how the city can act to improve our local environment for our most vulnerable populations in Ventura. At previous meetings, there have been discussions on whether industrial zoning needed to be changed from general to light industrial near residential homes and I'm honestly shocked that this topic is so controversial because as a longtime resident of the west side who has experienced the impacts of living near a gas compressor, oil wells, and various other industries, we are still very much experiencing high exposure to dangerous contaminants that poison our clean air. I would like to remind all of us today that currently there is no gas compressor in the state of California that sits so close to residential homes, schools, and local businesses other than the one located here on West Ventura. This gas compressor has been identified by NASA as a super emitter, which means this facility emits an, extremely, emits an extremely high amount of methane in our local environment. Studies have shown that living within two and a half miles of an oil and gas well in California means you are exposed to high levels of air pollution linked to cancer, cardiovascular disease, asthma, and many other life-threatening health conditions. This is even more alarming considering that we have a public elementary school open with children right across the street from this facility. I say this as a reminder and to emphasize that if we want to clean up our neighborhoods and promote a healthy environment for all residents in Ventura, there needs to be a preventative action. We can no longer undo the past, but we can work towards limiting pollution and contamination onto our local environment and community members in the future. So my time. Terry Holder, followed by Tim Holder. Terry Holder, uh, I'm, I'm just so confused through this whole process. We, I thought we already talked about the West Side industrial zone change and all the bad stuff that goes on on the West Side. Um, we all, I don't know if you guys are aware or not, but we came out in full force in September to a city council meeting and it was discussed and decided that we were going to leave the west side alone and yet i see in your this environmental justice policy the 4.3 conversion uh, says conversion of general industrial uses on the west side encourage the conversion of general industrial land uses to other land uses over time to mitigate pollution burdens on nearby residents 
I, I don't understand why it keeps coming back in a different form. Now we're talking about it in um, environmental justice. But the mitigation on pollution doesn't make any sense to me either because we actually have monitoring devices on Olive Drive that you can go to anytime you want, purpleair.com, and see the air pollution index numbers. And they're always good on the west side. I, I don't understand why we keep saying there's so much pollution there. The monitors prove that there isn't. Um, and then you talk about um, the disadvantaged communities. And Thank you. Tim Holder followed by Haley Eilers. Hello, I'm Tim Holder. I work at DT Truck and Crane right there on the avenue, right by the gas plant. The, other gentleman was talking about earlier or the um, that's a whole different issue those guys you guys have been fighting with them for a long time whatever that resolve ends up being is what that ends up being but to drag the rest of this community and the working force and the businesses that provide jobs good paying jobs to the people of Ventura and say that we have an area you can move us to, which you do not. Arendelle area is not large enough to hold what we all have. We provide a very good service. We're a very good, I've had no complaints from any of the people around us in years. We're very good neighbors. If they got a complaint, we address it. Uh, we're just having a hard time understanding why when this already got or was voted on by the city council 7-0 to drop it and not follow the recommendation, but we're right back at it. The other thing is um, we have been watching the air quality there, and she is 100% right. It's great air. It's green 99% of the time. The rest of the city isn't. So thank you. Haley Eilers followed by Todd Collard. Thank you. Hi, my name is Haley Ehlers. I live here in Ventura and work at Seafrog, a grassroots org fighting for climate action and public health here locally. As all discussions of justice should start, we encourage you to consider who is not in the room right now. Who will be most negatively impacted by the decisions made in this room without them here? And who will pay with their health and safety as a consequence? Let's also acknowledge who is, in, who is in the room. For decades, land use and planning decisions have been made with the industries who benefit by being allowed to pollute communities as the main stakeholder. This is how we got here, with West Ventura residents, the majority of whom are people of color and low income, experiencing harmful pollution at a rate higher, higher than 80% of the rest of the state. This advisory committee has a commitment that environmental justice will not just be given lip service that ends in policies influenced by polluting industries doing nothing to protect communities. We also want to uplift, as we did at last uh, in a previous meeting, that claims that West Ventura is not impacted by industrial pollution are not supported with evidence. Industrialized and noxious uh, operations are localized and involved chemicals that are not regularly measured by purple air um, or other uh, monitors. Sites like the so-called gas compressor station, era energy oil drilling, and other related industries pollute much too close to our homes and schools. Thank you. Right. Todd, followed by Cappy Paulson. 
want to echo one of the committee members' concerns about private open space available to the public. We saw examples of that in Malibu where public access to the coastline was barred, blocked, and people kicked off the beach because it was allegedly private space. So be careful about how you ask for that. Um, also on the question of what is open space versus parks, I think we should be looking at um, public spaces, indoor and out, and places where we can gather for civic engagement. Uh, there's a difference between parks and walking paths, and I'm on the promenade once, at least once a week, and it's hugely occupied space. It's not a park, it's not a bike path, it's kind of a strolling area. Uh, and so wherever you get into questions about how to monitor or assess the value of some of these, keep an open mind about indoor and outdoor spaces, and those qualities. As for hazards, I was wondering if there's any reference to the number of uh, deaths or injuries from vehicles. Uh, is that part of the hazards? And also heat sinks. That's another thing. Lack of uh, tree canopy can raise temperatures. Temperatures as they're rising and temperatures kill people. So that, I think, should be factored into the uh, considerations on adjustable justice. Did you want your notes, too? And next speaker would be Helen Oloyan. Hello, I'm Cappy Paulson. I am with the uh, Ventura Social Service Task Force, and um, we identified several goals for our unsheltered people, and one of them is to have a p free public dump station with uh, several places. N and this would not be just for the uh, unsheltered people, it would be for the uh, recreational vehicle users because we only have one in Ventura that's public right now, and it's only open in the morning for a couple hours. Um, and then the other thing, too, is um, to think about where the effluent goes if you don't have a public uh, station because you have to empty your tank somehow. So it's, sometimes it goes in the sanitary sewer, sometimes it goes in an empty lot, so it eventually goes out to the ocean. So we have that. And then one other thing, too, to, with the schools, um, with the Social Service Task Force and a couple other groups, uh, we've talked about possibly using them for um, low-income housing, too. So to consider that in the park. Thank you. All right, Helen, and then Christy Weir will be next. Okay, good evening, everyone. These are gonna be my fast and furious comments. Um, so I did a review of the EJ um, policies and I found that a number of them are redundant. I do feel that, like for example, hazardous waste generators have to clearly identify the materials they store. This, a lot of the stuff that are in here are actually already regulated by entities like Environmental Health and the Air Pollution Control District. It's very clear to me that um, those entities have not been engaged, otherwise we would have a more far-fetching environmental justice policy document in front of us. I also want to echo that the section 4.3, uh, 4.2, um, that is just counter 100% the opposite direction of what our city council unanimously voted to preserve industrial land. 
Um, a bonus fun fact for me as a renewable energy developer, uh, the path of least resistance for renewable energy products or projects is actually located on industrial lands. And we need to better utilize the industrial lands we have. Um, so like I said, there's this, is, this could go a lot further. And I think um, there's existing rules on the books like section 24.470 that the city does not currently enforce and would have to do directly with monitoring residences that abut residential zones to make sure things like odor, vibration, and bad air quality is not a problem for the people using in those sensitive areas. So my ask is that let's enforce the rules on the books before we go out, make more rules that we can't even enforce. Thank you. All right, Christy, followed by Julie Henze. Thank you. Um, Please firmly support the 10 uh, acres per 1,000 1, residents. Um, that's a, a national standard and a state standard. Um, even when you count our beaches, we have seven acres instead of 10. So please do what you can with that. Um, also, I was super surprised to see 4.3 on there, the one about the conversion of general industrial. I thought that had been settled before. So I think it'd be good to delete that. Also, the multi-generational housing, I don't know if you met, this was, didn't come up tonight there on the screen, but there's some um, recommendations in the actions on making sure we prioritize multi-generational housing. That isn't even defined in there. I don't know what that means, but it probably doesn't mean tiny studio apartments. It probably means bare units where you can have multiple family members. Um, also, 3.1 is about housing within 500 feet of freeways, and it says something about making sure, you know, if you put the housing closer than that, you got to filter the air inside or whatever, but, you know, people do go outside. So the goal is to keep the housing more than 500 feet from freeways to, to keep the air quality good. And then um, I didn't see urban forestry really strongly in either chapter. Um, the parks and open space or the environmental justice and urban forestry fits in both of them. I think there should be a lot more clear actions about, um, there was one tiny one in this one about um, tree buffers between freeways and housing, um, but the urban forestry needs to be much more clearly in both of those chapters. Thank you. All right, Julie Henze and then followed by Martin Rodriguez. Hi, I'm Julie Henze, and I live in one of the areas that was um, identified tonight as an area of concern uh, over by the government center. Um, I've also fought really hard for environmental justice. My father was in the oil industry right out of college, and then he left that and became a farmer and sprayed a lot of pesticides. Um, things change over time. And part of the environmental justice work I've done was working on ballot measures A and B, where the oil industry spent $7 million, an unprecedented amount, to give a lot of misinformation to the public about their gas prices going up. And it was all about trying to protect communities that were low income. But they have as much money as they need to pull the wool over our eyes year after year. It's a dying industry. You know, my father had to reinvent himself several times as a farmer because cattle prices dropped and then something else would happen and something else would happen. 
People are not entitled to keep the same job their whole life. I wish we all could. I've had to change careers several times. And it really is disappointing to me because I think there's so many things we could be doing to create jobs, but instead we're worried about you know, a certain segment of people losing their jobs in the oil industry. And I ask that we not focus so much on that. Thank you. Martin Rodriguez followed by Spencer Noren. Good afternoon, my name, or evening. My name is Martin Rodriguez. I'm the Building Trades President for Tri-Counties, uh, Ventura, Santa Barbara, San Luis Obispo, and I'm also the Ironworkers Business Agent. Most of the stuff has been said already, uh, so it won't be redundant. 4.3 needs to be stricken. It's already a done deal. I mean, uh, the, the people have spoken. We'll pack it again in, in uh, the next city council. We'll show you again, we do not need general industrial change. Simple as that, working people, need to make a living. This, I do a lot of things. I work with Sea Frog. I work, we're developing the offshore. We do, we have a thousand apprentices in the desert building the solar energy. We will turn the page as this thing goes away. But this isn't about oil and gas. This is an opportunity to the west side for building future industries. Uh, everything that's coming on the offshore, I, I've been trying to get it based right here, just like we had the oil field, so we could take that next change. And you get nothing but pushback from environmental justice, from Sea Frog, and I work with Sea Frog. Uh, I have a couple of programs to train young people coming into the next industry, which is the air and the solar industry. So let's just uh, get away from this 4.3 discussion and change of the general industrial plan. It's a non-starter for us working people in Ventura. San Luis Obispo in Santa Barbara. I live here too, so I can go on and on too, but I'm getting mad. All right. Spencer followed by um, Danny Zerman. Followed by Danny. Thank you, Spencer Norn, uh, former Parks and Rec Commissioner. I had a few comments from tonight and last night a little bit. Number one was in support of getting rid of 4.2 and 4.3, knowing that we went through this whole conversation as a community already. I want to really support our current jobs we have in Ventura. Number two was the tree master plan that we talked about in our policy for parks, about getting more detail about that. Um, on that line, I would have liked if Council Member Bill McReynolds could have been here. And going forward, if we could have our GPAC uh, meetings two weeks in advance, if possible, maybe four weeks in advance. With only 10 days, I think that more of our community would be here with more notice. And bringing up Council Member McReynolds talked about a 20 to 1 tree ratio in the city of Ventura. I would love that policy to be implemented inside of our general plan moving forward. If you remove one tree, you replace it with 20. And also about park spaces that we use, Seaside Park, and how big that park is, it's unaccessible. So I think that we should take Seaside Park, remove all of that acreage, because as we know, it's a river bottom that you cannot go into. So just a few park uh, conversations about the importance of open space and air quality, and how trees really affect environmental um, equality. And then last but not least, East Side. I'm not hearing much about the Sadekoy uh, community and their underprivileged situation. If you get maybe some more attention on the Sadekoy area. Thank you. All right, Danny, Danny Zermen, Zermeno, followed by Mike Dawson. Oops, sorry, don't need the card. Yeah. I'm Danny Zermeno, uh, one of the owners with my two brothers of OST Trucks and Cranes. We've been on Ventura Avenue since 1947. We're a union minority company. You talk about racial justice and equality. Most of my employees are minority. There's not 41 acres we can move to, so I could sell that property and make a ton of money 
to developers, but I'm not going to. I want my guys to have jobs. And you guys do this 4.3, and I have to sell my business. You not only hurt me, you hurt all my minority uh, employees. And then where's the, where's the air study report? I have not seen one. Did you guys ask the APCD for one? No, you didn't. You need, if you're gonna make decisions, make legitimate decisions with information that's valid, not you know all this bull that you know so-and-so said this, and so-and-so said that. And that, to me, this is a backdoor way to try to get rid of 4.3, which we've already been to city council on. Thank you. Mike Dawson, followed by Kurt Handy. Thank you very much. I'm a very small business owner here on the west side. I have 12 employees and I've been at it for 10 years. Tonight we're really talking about environmental justice and the scale of balance. The balance of the scale. Where is it really falling? Are we doing what cause wants? Are we doing what the industry wants? Are we really, really paying attention to collab, to the the chamber, to the west side industrial people, are we really sitting here and having a conversation with real information? I think we are not. I don't think the group has engaged the community as I have offered in every time I've been here. We have offered to help. There are 275 industrial acres on the west side of Ventura. That's over 400 employees. It's over $350 million of income for our employees. That economic vitality has never even been considered. I've never seen it once on there. The scale of balance. We're talking about income and we're talking about social justice. We employ the people of the West Side. We have done everything we can. I had to buy every new crane to meet the California Air Resources Board rule to have clean air. We can literally put our mouths into the exhaust pipes and breathe it. We are environmentally and economically viable for this community. So please, let's include everybody. Thank you. All right, Bert Handy, followed by Brad Paulson. He'll be our last speaker. And good evening, group. I, when I was a child, we had schoolyards directly across the street from where I lived, and also there were two back-to-back, -back, junior high and high school. The nearest park was a half mile away, so we used the school grounds all the time. I would like to see the same thing here. In a lot of your areas, you don't have parks around school schools, and it's an unused source that I think should really be evaluated. The city-county state evaluation for EJ reference uh, median income, I believe you should add the city to that. Some cities are higher than the county, higher than the state. I didn't hear that mentioned. I just heard the county and the state. I think you need to add the cities. When you pull up the information from the Census Bureau, it has all of them listed. All you got to do is look at the city. It gives you that information. That should be a benchmark that's also in there. Cleaning up abandoned retired wells, which can emit the gases and not capped or destroyed. I believe the city should really work hard on getting the state funds to do that. We are the first area that they found oil in in the state of California. We've got so many old wells here, it's unbelievable. And that has a major effect because all the old wells have not been capped and they're all through the fields and everything else. That's something I really think that we should work on. Thank you. 
And our last speaker, Brad Paulson. Thank you. I also have reinvented myself numerous times. I started out working for the Department of Defense out of Port Renimi. I started out working for Getty Oil in the oil fields right here off the avenue. And I went to work for a print company, and I'm working currently for BR Fabrication, which we manufacture and install all the steel inside of the new buildings. So I've gone all over the place. What frustrates me to no end right now is that we have people from not even from this town, from Berkeley in here, trying to tell us what to do with our city, number one. Number two, we had a vote in September. You mind looking at me while I speak to you? Please pay attention. Thank you. We had a vote in September. This is public comment, not comments. But, but I would, this is, it's pertinent. We had a vote in September, and th this whole thing was put to bed. Why is it coming back up again? I also went online today to the, we have a website that shows, and I want to read it, mapspurpleair.com. I checked the West End, right near where I work, and the rating was 51. I went and looked at Ventura High School, it was 60. We're not producing all the bad air that you guys are saying we do. And we already voted on this. This should be a dead issue. Did you have, can I have your card back, ma'am? So I have your name? Can I have your card? Thank you. All right, thank you. That closes our public comment period. Thank you all for your comments and your, your passion. We do want to break now into the GPAC discussion. Our proposed um, idea was to break into some smaller groups first for a little while just to, to dig in and have some conversation and have some structure there and then bring that back to the, the larger group, but give you a chance to kind of page turn a little bit in a smaller group. Um, so if that's okay with, with everyone to approach that that way, we'll start there, spend maybe 25 minutes or so in, in the smaller groups and then come back for the larger discussion for the rest of the time. Um, so I'm thinking if we go one, two, three, four, five, you guys want to get together? One, two, three, four, five here, and then the four of you, if that's a, all right. So what we did last night was we just pulled chairs around the outside. So what we're gonna ask you to do as a group, if you could point one person to be kind of the recorder, we have a clean copy of the document for you to write your comments on. And we'll also put a couple of these in the hallway for the community as well if you want to make some comments on the document too. Where are you guys going, right here? And here is your clean copy to use for your comments. There are a couple of extra copies that say public on them. If any of the members of the public want to make some notes on these as well, I'll put them out here in the, so you can page turn as well.
So we'll, if you can start wrapping up your, your group discussion. So we'll take another two minutes or so to let you wrap up, and then we'll start our group report out. All right, so if I can get everyone's attention again. I'll try a couple times. So if I can get everyone's attention, we're going to start with the group report outs. So for each of the, the small breakout groups, I'm going to ask you just to, to share a little bit of your conversation, specifically if there were... So specifically, if there are edits or changes or deletions of goals, policies. Um, also, if there is additional. Thank you. <laughs> I was taking it a little slower, but that's, that works too. All right. So each small group, if you could just share a little bit of your conversation, what your policy discussion was, if there are changes, edits, deletions, as well as if there are additions, um, things that you want us to further explore that you didn't see that you think need to be there. So um, do you guys have a, you, oh, okay, that sounds great. Who was your, gonna be your presenter over here? Oh, everyone's pointing at you, Louise. I'm going to take all five. So um, the one thing that uh, we all noticed and, and commented upon is a lot of these policies, um, they're already covered by state law. And um, it's redundant. It places the city in, in, in having the potential of potentially coming into conflict with state law. A lot of things in this, the, um, the city doesn't even have jurisdiction over state law to handle. So if it's state law, take it out of here. There's a lot of room for good policies and good goals and good actions to improve you know, EJ within the city. We don't need to be duplicating state law. So that's throughout, exactly. Um, then uh, the, we 100% we support 
removing 4.2 and 4.3 as as was commented upon by the public that's already gone to city uh, uh, to city council and uh, it, the other thing too is that there's already state law that is changing the requirements for industrial businesses that these businesses have to comply with um, that the most that you know the city should do possibly is add a policy that they will support businesses through permit streamlining, grant assistance, etc., that are voluntarily working to convert to comply with state law. Help the businesses, don't harm them. Um, I, I convinced the group that the entire agricultural section needs to be removed. Um, this is, this is, uh, the city does not have authority over many of these policies. Um, it, it, things belong to the Department of Pesticide Regulation, etc. If the city wants to have a policy, then we suggest that the policy be support the Ventura County Agricultural Commissioner in their ongoing work to ensure agricultural operations comply with existing state and federal law. Yeah, a lot of these things, you don't, you don't collaborate with the Ag Commissioner after you've written the policy. You collaborate with the Ag Commissioner to help develop the policy. So it's a little backwards. Um, we talked a bit about 7.2, the farmer's markets, and just wanted to point out that um, it's the east side that needs farmer's markets, um, not necessarily the uh, the 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 designated communities. The designated communities have quite a bit of access. Um, let's see, 7.6, urban agriculture. Um, again, this is a policy that had we spoken with the, or had access to the agricultural commissioner, would never have even have been written in here. It sounds good, you know, encourage edible landscapes, fruit trees, etc. The problem is, is that Ventura County is currently under two extremely significant agricultural quarantines. One that could destroy our entire citrus industry, and another, the Queensland fruit fly, that could destroy all, all produce production in Thousand Oaks and Moore Park, including everyone's favorite Underwood Farms. Um, the problem is, is that these edible landscapes, fruit trees, community gardens, etc., are a source of pest infestations. So if the city does want to keep commercial agriculture, we cannot support 7.6 because you are opening up an exposure route that will threaten commercial agriculture. Most people aren't aware of that, but both of the pests that have caused the two current ag quarantines were found in backyard trees. They were not found in commercial agriculture. So we need to be very, very careful and figure out what it is that we want to protect, right? Um, let's see, agricultural tourism. I just want to point out that uh, this probably needs to be clarified. Farmers don't need assistance with coming up with ideas and creating tourism opportunities. What they need is for the city to streamline and change your permitting process so that they can actually get the permits to do it. Um, so that 7.7 should be redirected more to how the city will help. Um, getting into housing, uh, we recommend deleting 9.3. 
Um, it's, it's been written about, it's been studied, but rent stabilization does not end up being successful in the long run. Um, we believe instead that there should be a policy added to promote the development of more housing. Um, and we also believe that uh, there should be a policy added to promote sustaining existing businesses and attracting new businesses to increase head of household type jobs which will help increase wages overall and reduce the gap to housing affordability. Uh, let's see, 9.9, .9, we wanted to expand the eviction prevention assistance um, and add in assistance to housing access and emergency short-term assistance to remain in housing into that policy. And I think that that was, that was it. Um, so as we're going through to each group, if you have differences, particularly with, with any of the other policy recommendations, please highlight those. And also you can, you can quickly go through some of the supportive ones, but also we want to make sure we're digging into the ones that are different as well. So who? Well, we're, gonna, we're gonna do a tag team approach. And I'll just, I'll just make the, uh, the first short comments. Uh, number one, we, we fully agree with group number one and the overall sentiment of the public input that goals number four, two, and four, three are not appropriate in this document at this time. Um, that being said, there is conflicting, there were conflicting public statements tonight regarding uh, perceptions over the pollution on the west side. So w our group feels that it is in the, the, the city's interest and the public's interest to uh, have some sort of analysis done to determine uh, whether or not pollution it does in fact exist on the west side. If so, what are the sources of the pollution? And again, if so, uh, if there is, uh, is pollution, is it, is it, does it uh, constitute some sort of health risk to the residents of, of that uh, area of the city or the, or the city uh, more generally? Um, but uh, so, and uh, the statements were, were absolutely correct were made with regard to the city council having already settled this question. So, so again, we, we feel pull, pull goals 4.2 and 4.3 out of the document, uh, but an analysis uh, we, we deem as warranted. Okay, let me hand this over to number two. I'm gonna talk about the west side and then we'll talk about the east side. Um, the west side uh, being identified as one of the disadvantaged, uh, potentially disadvantaged communities is also adjacent to one of the great open spaces that is underutilized and stands a real good chance of becoming a world-class um, recreation area, which is the Ventura River Parkway. Uh, and I long have thought, and I shared with the team, and they, they didn't disagree, so I'm just going to say that I think bringing that community together, especially the Latino community that may feel somewhat disenfranchised in our city, to the River Parkway and having them take an ownership stake in it um, to improve it, to make it, to recreate in it, to make it a social gathering place, a recreation uh, opportunity, because health uh, is one of the um, the tenets of what was, I've seen improve excessive, I'm sorry, um, physical activity. 
Um, it was mentioned earlier, cap and trade dollars may be available. So I, I'd like to encourage the city through this document and in its uh, actions moving forward to work with NGOs like the Land Trust, et cetera, to try and make that connection and make the River Parkway the best it can be. I've seen beautiful examples of that around the country. Uh, and we can do it here. It can be something that tourists could enjoy, everyone in the, in the community, but the people on the west side really take ownership and pride in. And now the east side. So I'll cover the east side, but another comment on the west side and sort of the northern part of the city was the comment that came up earlier about the oil wells that are sort of spent is to ensure that they are appropriately capped because that is a major source of pollution in other areas. We don't know about that for sure. Um, and then also the other comment on the analysis of pollution on the west side is not just seeing if there's pollution or how much or where the sources are, but also, and I think more importantly, is seeing if there's a way to capture the health effects of it. Uh, is there census data or data from other sources that can track the rates of asthma, cancer, et cetera, in those specific areas that are adjacent to potential sources of, of, uh, of the pollution. Uh, but on the east side, uh, one of the things we did talk about was uh, expanding the, the food desert concept. Uh, that, like we talked about in land use, there's very few restaurants and food stores in that region and a lot more housing going up in that area, several hundred homes going up and nothing is close by. I mean, unless you live, you know, a little bit ways from the ones, one, the, the two grocery stores that are over there. So there needs to be some consideration for some way to put um, restaurants, food stores, grocery stores, or other, other innovative ways of making food more accessible to people. There's not even small little bodegas over there. It's like, you know, one big grocery store and that's about it. So that's, that's another big area that we're concerned about, that area. Uh, I'm just going to briefly uh, uh, reiterate that uh, 4.2 and 4.3 don't belong in here. Um, I think I've been vocal before that moving heavy industry to the Aranda area is just a bad idea. Um, and there's, oh, sorry about that. I, I would like to see policy in the general plan that encourages the growth of the manu manufacturing sector. Uh, I think, you know, I run a, in full disclosure, I run a manufacturing business. I'm a mechanical engineer. I started out as a machinist. I think I understand that the, the, the sector of, uh, of manufacturing is important and it's resilient. Somebody, uh, Doug was mentioning to me earlier today that uh, we've got something like a 35% vacancy rate in office. We don't have that vacancy rate in manufacturing. I don't know what it is, but I'll, I'll, I'll venture a guess zero. Okay, so uh, I'll, I'll just comment on that, that, that uh, we, I think we need to grow the manufacturing uh, sector as far as uh, clean industry, and it doesn't mean that, that what's uh, designated as general is not clean industry. Do you want to add anything, Color? So this isn't sanctioned by the group because we didn't necessarily talk, it, but talk about it, but um, uh, yeah, since it, tenant protections and, and striking tenant protections was brought up, um, 
and our group kind of touched on it just when we talk about the character of the West Side and how um, how much we appreciate how vibrant of a community that is and how there's concerns over displacement more so on the west side than anywhere else and one of those reasons is because the west side of Ventura has the largest uh, portion of renters in the city or one of the largest um, and so I think part of part of what we can do to prevent um, those pressures of displacement is tenant protections. Um, rent stabilization, I know that's controversial, but the other things included in 9.3, just cause evictions, harassment protections, landlord mediation programs, right of first refusal for tenants, all of those are fairly, what seemed to me as a renter, fairly reasonable things that um, just help tenants, especially considering um, the number of people that don't have access to purchasing a home in the city, things that can help us renters feel just more secure in our homes, like we can invest in our communities because we're not at risk of leaving anytime soon. Um, so I'd, I'd suggest we keep 9.3 in. All right, thank you. Any, any questions for either of the two groups you have gone yet for clarification? Who's our spokesperson over here? Oh, Casey again, huh? Passing around? Maybe. Okay, I'll, I'll rapid fire what I flagged in the doc and you guys can chime in. Um, we did discuss that there are some things in here that are probably redundant um, with other legislation, but we ultimately decided that that may be helpful and important because this is a standalone talk document and a lot of people may start making decisions about moving a business to Ventura or creating a new policy in the city with this document, so everything being captured in one place could be helpful. Um, under EJ1, we flagged 1.5 and 1.6. We like the idea of city staff and boards and commissions reflecting the diversity of the city. We think that's important. On EJ2, we um, oh proposed an additional item about planting in key areas. We think it should read something like, identify areas to plant more trees and native plants to support our urban canopy, addressing heat retention issues, carbon capture, and the well-being benefits from green space. Um, we also thought 2.3, we understand it's a reflection of community comments, um, but it feels a little specific. And maybe we should talk about noise generators in general, like including the fairgrounds, um, something to explore there. On EJ3, uh, we wanted to add capping the freeways as a potential mitigation um, option for air pollution and also potentially noise pollution. Um, Metrolink train pollution, oh, we said it was potentially confusing to have a date there. It specifically calls out that there will be intervention actions by the end of 2025. None of the other policy framework includes specific dates, so we were just a little thrown off by that and wondering why that specifically and we can discuss later. <laughs> um, EJ4, 4.1, um, we thought we we thought the overall policy might benefit from removing the West Side specific call out. So it's just focusing on for enforcement on identified DACs in general throughout the city. Um, we agree that 4.3 should be stricken because the city's already had that conversation. We did not discuss as a group 4.2, but I will just personally say that I am for 4.2, so take that as you will. Uh, EJ5, we called out 5.7. Um, a lot of other places where we're talking about buffers and barriers or boundaries 
have specific like feet involved, 500 or 1,000 feet. That doesn't have a specific amount of feet, and maybe it should. Um, EJ6, 6.2, health and wellness uses. I can't get my sticky note. Oh, um, we think that the types of facilities should specifically call out mental health service facilities like counseling centers and therapist offices. Um, 6.5, we wanted to include something about using those partnerships to plant trees and other native plants. 7.4, we love the idea of subsidizing convenience stores starting to create, um, being able to offer fresh grocery products, especially in places that are space challenged, like the west side. And that is as far as we got. Does anyone from my group have anything else they want to add? Just a comment on, on David's comment about the, the west side. I believe you're talking about the river trail when you said the parkway. Yeah. The, um, the city did get a $5 million grant, to, if you're not aware, to upgrade that. Um, one of the issues that we've talked about on the west side for quite a while is to get more access from the community to it, because right now there's about a mile, mile and a half from Stanley down to, uh, well, Sheridan Way now, uh, Riverside, where you can't get to it from the community. So um, that would be great for definitely community youth involvement with that. So on the redundancy side of things, um, one way to marry both of those ideas could be perhaps when there is a policy or any language that is, has state regulations associated with it is to note that in the policy. That way it's there, but it's kind of punting to the state as just, hey, for more information or for the details, you find it here. Um, so that because this is the place where some people will go and if they don't see it there, then they may think nothing exists. But I, to your point, it, there is some redundancy there that is already covered by other places. So one, one thought. So, um, look, it's, I don't think there are any other conflicting besides the 4.2. Maybe, Casey, do you want to expand on your thoughts on 4.2? Uh, sure, yeah. Just a little first. I think we've talked fairly extensively about the potential downsides of general industrially zoned parcels on nearby residents and um, reviewing the environmental justice presentation from whenever that was years ago really drove that home for me. I definitely think it does not make sense to put general industrial near residential to rezone something that's zoned as something else to general industrial if it's near residential moving forward. That feels like it would just be creating more issues like the ones we're facing today for ourselves. Oh. Hold, hold. That the, I mean, the, the first part of it of not putting heavy industrial next to residential with a thousand feet, that makes total sense. But there's a specific intention here to move it to Arundel and North Bank. But if there isn't the space, obviously encouraging them doesn't, what does that mean? You know, it's, it's almost unenforceable, but it gets people thinking, hey, Arundel North Bank is the primary industrial part of Ventura, which I think is something that we want to encourage. Any additional discussion around that? 
So one other item that we talked about just really briefly, but we didn't have time to really, you know, find out where to put it in here, was um, a couple years ago there was a sample of a green streets program where the permeable, um, you know, sidewalk and gutters and, and kind of redesigning that street. Um, it helps us in a number of ways. And, um, it, you know, Nick and I were talking about it, and, and it was probably a, maybe a passion project of someone in public works at the time, and maybe that person has moved on, and so now that program kind of went away. So encourage programs like that for when the city is, um, you know, kind of like the dig once policy, right? You know, when the city is having to um, tear up a street for whatever reason, don't just put it back with, you know, make it better than how we took it out. Thank you. Great idea. So we'll take a, a few more minutes because we do want to talk about the schedule as well. This is a personal observation, completely independent of the report outs from any of the groups. And that is, um, my sense is that to be properly executed, what's proposed in this framework, uh, from my layman's view, would likely require hiring a dozen or more new city staff. It's, it's that intense and there's, there's so much new stuff in here that I'm certain what's proposed in here cannot be done with our current staffing levels. And that speaks well to what Stephanie was talking about earlier about how are we going to pay for all these programs and things. So, so I just wanted to clarify our comment about the redundancy because there, there's the issue of things that already exist in state or regional laws that we can say the state already has rules about these things, right? But then there's also the idea of there are places in here where we are proposing that we have jurisdiction over things that we don't have jurisdiction. So it's really important to distinguish between those two things. You know, one of the things that we talked about is streamlining our process to kind of get out of the way of people who are trying to do the right thing, right? Now, you know, that's a, a delicate balance because you, when you streamline, you can also be getting out of the way of people who aren't doing the right thing, right? So figuring out the policy that makes sense for those sorts of things, but then not having us be redundant with state and regional rules. Um, a good example is the buffer zone stuff, because schools are already very well protected by buffer zones. So it's not just the languages, the policies redundant, it's like not understanding who, the juris who has jurisdiction, so being very clear in who's, who has jurisdiction over those. And any other individual thoughts on um, the environmental justice element or chapter, as well as potentially questions that we might want to include in the, that idea of a mini survey as well before we get into the schedule? One thing that wasn't very ex explicitly mentioned is um, how the cleanliness and how well kept the city is. And I think that has a lot to do with mental health. So incorporating that into the mental health co component, yes. Urban design has a lot to do with mental health. Great. Kyler first, I'll go back. One item that had come up when we were talking about food access and especially on the east side is it doesn't necessarily have to look like finding a floor plate for like a Vons or something, um, potentially looking at um, innovative ways that folks are getting their food right now, um, folks that are already like 
selling meals out of their homes, um, some sort of like amnesty program or just allowing kind of small commercial enterprises like that to exist in um, the low density neighborhoods on the east side as a way of increasing opportunities for food access. Um, And this is a this is a personal uh, comment because we didn't get all the way through, um, and uh, just at nine point four, uh, which is about aging in place. I just really want uh, you know that's something. There's a lot of really innovative stuff that's going on in various places about how to keep uh, a multi generational community in place, and I just so I don't know any of the specifics about this and haven't. Just want to say, yeah. That's terrific. Looking around, scanning, see if anyone else has any final comments. All right, well, great discussion, great ads, great thoughts for the um, for staff to consider. Uh, can I you'll email yours? Do you guys have a hard copy notes, or were they kind of scattered? Got your notes? That's good. All right, well, we're capturing, we have it recorded, but if there's anything that you have written down that you want to share with us, we've got this one as well. So let's talk a little bit about the schedule before we break at 8.30. Um, these, this was, for those that weren't here last night, we had proposed, there are seven, is that right, the correct, Matt? Seven, seven meetings, counting the two, counting last night, um, left for the GPAC. And so this was a proposed approach um, based on that survey that you had responded to about topics that you were that the GPEC seemed most interested in. So this, um, we've gone through the parks and open space, environmental justice. Next meeting was proposed to be focused more on neighborhoods and tying into that public safety, natural hazard safety, that component of it as well. So kind of tackling quite a few topics in that one piece there. Um, and then transportation and infrastructure was also high on the list. The original thought was to give you two opportunities to sit with the entire general plan while it's out for public review, and maybe a meeting focused more on the EIR and the methodology and some of the content there. Um, based on the discussion or the recommendation earlier about requesting to maybe focus on economic development, economic vitality, and maybe potentially other topics that folks would like to spend a little more time with, this can be edited in any way that you would like to. Um, maybe you don't need three meetings on the general plan it's an entire, in its entirety and the EIR. We can take one of those for a different topic um, or try to incorporate a topic in. Carba. Is um, the traffic study a part of the EIR? And like, if not, is the traffic study going to be available ahead of the conversations that we would have on transportation and infrastructure? There we go. Um, yes, um, the traffic study is going to be focused on VMT, which is vehicle miles traveled, um, and not on like intersection. Um, so that's what you're required to do for the environmental impact report, which is looking more citywide and regional about um, traffic flow rather than on existing intersections and streets and traffic delays. So that's what's included in the environmental impact report. That's the study that's part of this. But that and that will be that will be ready for that meeting for the transportation and yeah, infrastructure meeting. That's the intent. So forgive me if I missed this, but where does economic development come into this conversation? Uh, 
and I would say I would. Seeing a lot of yes. So the question then is, how do we want to do that, and how or how do you want to revise and edit this schedule or this approach? Is it taking away one of those full general plan meetings or EIR, or do we want to massage any of the other sections there? Transportation and infrastructure? The transportation, the, the circulation chapter usually is pretty hefty, and the infrastructure also takes into account like the non-circulation infrastructure. So that's kind of a, a chunky one already. Um, the neighborhoods will have some of that, but that's really more on the granular level. So, so Nick suggested giving up one of the general plan review meetings. Um, a question for clarification. The EIR, is that, would that be a report out to us, or would that be something we have input into? It's the general plan, um, to the two times general plan in the EIR is after they are public. So it is not that you would have input into the development at that point. Um, it would be reviewing what is already the draft EIR and the draft general plan. So the and just let me sort of expand on that a little bit, which is that if the GPAC wants more opportunity to discuss topics before the draft plans come out in their entirety, um, what I would say is that there should be more topical meetings and less of the review meetings. Um, if you want more time to talk as a group after the draft is out about where you stand on it um, and make recommendations, then we can keep it the way it is or, or keep one or two of those meetings. Where I'm going, though, is if the EIR is something we're receiving rather than developing, that would, I would suggest having an economic development discussion in place of us receiving an EIR. So putting the economic development topic in front of the general plan, yeah. And Having and because the general plan will be out because if if we were to give you the general plan in its entirety to the GPAC, then it automatically becomes a public document, right? So that's why it will be out for public review when it's done in its entirety as a draft. Um, so when you're reviewing it as a group, the community will be reviewing it at the same time. Um, so if you want more, as Matt said, input into because what you're seeing now with these policy frameworks are what the chapter might start to look like. Um, we'll have more graphics and more content in it, but that's what you're kind of feeding into. Yeah, and Susan, can I, ju I just say, I mean, the, what we're doing with these policy frameworks is having you all give your input about where just these preliminary drafts are right and wrong. And so what we got, you know, last night, we got a lot of feedback and tonight on, yeah, this is great, or hey, you missed this, or this is off. And that's what the role, actually, that is what the role of the GPAC is, is to give that feedback. So that's what we want. And so the more meetings we have where you can do that with the topics, um, where you can see these policy frameworks, that's helpful for us to make sure that we're not off the mark in any area. Briefly, is adding another meeting, uh, increasing from seven, is that off the table? In terms of um, the process and, yeah, all those sorts of things. So if we're going to add uh, another meeting for economic development, like tonight was going to be environmental justice and economic development kind of snuck in. So maybe we have economic development slash economic justice 
at the same time. Kind of going back to the comment about <clears throat> the balancing between pro-business and pro-environmental and kind of keep that balance in place. So maybe suggest that the next meeting be focused to kind of continue that conversation on economic vitality, potentially as the, the next meeting in March. Um, since it's fresh on everyone's mind and we just are talking about it now, and then move that sequentially. Yes, all the sections are being worked on. Um, and one thing you can, we could, we can also, and we could talk about this more at the next meeting too, be teed up to start the conversation on the next topic also. So if we get through economic development, I'm not saying that we would during the one meeting, there could be some discussion to start on the next piece, sort of what we were trying to do you know, with this last meeting of being ready for two topics. So. Thank you, Susan. So if I'm understanding, there is a consultant right now working on the economic development strategy or element or what? What is it? Yeah. Policies. Policies. Okay. And there's been some sort of questionnaire that they got 300 respondents to. No. Hmm? the visioning all that process in the early stages of the plan that survey that went out all of the all of the input that we've been collecting throughout the last few years is being te teased out all the different times that people talked about things related to environmental justice every time something came up around land use or around um, economic development those are being kind of have been organized and coalesced um, but we've talked about this mini survey so it may be during the next this next meeting when we're talking about economic development vitality that there are some specific questions that we want to push out. We're going to add. And you know, if we know what that the topic is, then that can also be a way to bring more of the business community here for the the here or for the meeting as well. So, are we comfortable with next meeting being economic development vitality as a topic? I'm I'm comfortable with economic development being the next topic. I just. I don't even know what the point of this comment is, but as a resident, I don't feel like an expert on economic development, so I would really appreciate having, like I know the city has a whole economic development department, and there's a lot of groups that are really laser focused on that topic, and so as a resident, I'd just rather defer to like the plans that already exist, and or at least have their expertise, because I don't know anything about it. So similar to what we did with parks, having the parks director here last night, we would do something similar for the economic development as well. Um, wait, I saw a hand up, didn't I? Yes. Um, and my my question is 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 about dates because I know that there's some possibility that things will shift, and this is very particular to me. But my work schedule has now shifted, and I cannot make meetings on third Tuesdays. So I'm kind of hoping. But I don't know what you know about in terms of the city council meetings shifting and all of that stuff. If we're going to be okay, council's third Tuesday now. So count, right, council's third Tuesday. So second and fourth Tuesday. Just not first. Don't vote first. Okay. We'll we'll send out. We'll try sending out the dates again. Um, we'll we'll have Rachel do that. But a hold. Yeah. We'll do we'll do a little poll for the dates. Again. So we have about one minute left. Have last word. Wait. <laughs> um, will we see these 
documents like an open space doc, open space in parks or environmental justice or any of this again, or is that just going to come at the uh, general plan review? We had not planned on bringing it back. That said, um, if there are pieces that you want us to bring back to you, um, we can. I think the, the challenge we have is, is time and meetings. So I think the question for the group, and, and again, I, I said this last night, which is we can use these seven meetings any way you want to use the meetings. And so we can also, just to say, if we want to decide you want to review things instead of doing two general plan meetings, you want to take one of those away and re-review the policy frameworks, we can do that too. And we can make that shift in a month or two when we're coming back to it. So. Think about that too, and it, and it could be that a piece of the agenda, we have a topic, we have an update on the recent, the policies that we've reviewed. Um, and maybe that's an approach to take as well. So you get a chance to have a, another look at a, a revised draft at some point. But we can, we'll definitely, so we're focused on economic development, economic, economic development and vitality at the next meeting. Um, we'll be teed up to do at least one of the other, um, at least start the dialogue if, in fact, we get through economic development fairly quickly. Um, we'll just at least to have some conversation around them. We might not have a policy framework to review, but we can start the dialogue around that other topic as well. So, and we'll be sending out some sort of a meeting doodle request survey to find out what works for the next meeting in March, since we won't be doing the third Tuesday because it conflicts with council meetings. And we'll get the rest of the date set up ASAP after that. So it's 8.30. Thank you all very much. We will see everyone next month.